Welcome to episode number 167 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be diving into one of my newly favorite things on the homestead. And I say newly because I was not always someone who grew flowers and specifically medicinal flowers on our homestead. I focused mainly on food production and the more common edible kitchen culinary type herbs. But until just a few years ago, the garden and the majority of my garden planning was always focused on the main food crops. And while that is still important, and if you need help with that, I have got previous episodes that you definitely want to check out, specifically episode number 124, How to Plan Your Best Garden and Harvest for a Year's Worth of Food. And it's something that we will be covering more in future episodes because in February, I will be hosting my very popular free online masterclass on raising a year's worth of food. Now, that's not coming until February, but just keep it in your mind that that's going to be happening. But in today's episode, we are going to be focusing on medicinal plants and planning to put those in your garden this year. If you are a new listener, let me introduce myself before we get any further into the meat of this episode. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I'm the host of the Pioneering Today podcast, the author of the Made from Scratch Life and the book Handmade, and the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy. And this podcast is where we don't just inspire you, but give you the clear steps to create the homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life you want for your family and homestead. I'm a huge advocate of adding in things slowly. When it comes to the garden, especially if you are brand new, I really don't recommend adding in a ton of new plants and overwhelming yourself. The reason for that, because not just in the garden, though that is the area that we are focusing on specifically in this episode, but really all areas of your life, is to just introduce one or two new changes at a time. Get yourself very comfortable with those new changes so that it becomes a normal part of your routine. You've got confidence in it and then move on to the next thing. So I'm going to give you quite a list here of my favorite medicinal flowers and or plants to think about adding in to your garden, yard, container gardens, and I'll talk about specifically where these will go, but most of these plants you can fit in very easily no matter what type of growing space you have available. Now, you may be an overachiever, and I'm going to give you a high five because I tend to roll that way. When I get excited about something, I jump in full board and just want to go for it. But you may want to start with just a few of these. So This is the plants and the herbs. We're going to cover that a little bit more that we have added in over the past few years on our homestead. So I didn't add all of these in in one year. But a couple of years ago, I decided that though I want the majority of the plants that I put in 
to provide us with food or to provide a purpose that just being pleasing to look at, beautiful to the eye, also has a purpose. And so that's when I decided to start planting in flowers that I thought were beautiful and brought me joy. The good thing is many of them also have great medicinal and or herbal purposes. Now, heads up, I am not a certified herbalist. I'm not a certified nutritionist, medical provider, any of that stuff. So this is just for educational and informational purposes only. Capiche? Alrighty. So one of the first of my favorite, and I put this in the garden last year, and I will put it in every single year, and I plan on putting in even more of it, and that is calendula. I'm going to try to pronounce the Latin names on this, guys, but let me just tell you that I am probably going to mispronounce some of these scientific and or Latin names. So as long as you know that we've got the Latin name correct and it's spelled right in the blog post that accompanies this episode, my pronunciation of it probably is not spot on. But calendula or calendula officinalis, how's that one for a tongue twister? But calendula, now it can range depending upon the variety that you get from orange to yellow flower. It is a annual, meaning it's something you're going to take from seed and put in the garden each year. But it's actually fairly cold hardy. Mine made it through the first couple of hard frosts and went well into the fall. It is a prolific bloomer, meaning you're going to get lots of blooms all summer long and into the fall, which is fabulous. It's a great addition for a pollinator. The bees love it, which we always want to help out our honeybees. And it has got some great medicinal purposes to it. Now, it is one that is used as a natural dye. So you can see calendula will be used to dye clothing, to help color cheese. But primarily, I use the calendula myself When I'm making my homemade salves and balms, it's great for the skin. So I put it in soap, homemade creams, medicinal balms, anything like that, I put it into. You can use it as a natural colorant for your soap because it's got the dye. So if you do your infused oils with it, it will produce, especially if it's the flower, mine were the bright orange. If it's the bright orange variety, then you're going to get that color will come through in your salves and or your soap making. Now, up next, we have chamomile, specifically German chamomile. There's a Roman and a German chamomile, but for medicinal purposes, it's usually the German chamomile that we use the most. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce the scientific name of it, but with every single episode, I have got a full written out blog post that accompanies it. So you can go there You'll find all of the resources and links to different things that I mentioned throughout the episode. And you can find it at my website, which is melissaknorris.com. You can either click on the podcast button and see every single episode, 167 of them at the time of this recording, listed in chronological order. Or to get to today's episode directly to those show notes, just go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 167. The number's 167 because this is episode number 167. Okay, back to the chamomile. So this is a great one. It's an annual also, 
oftentimes it will reseed itself. I haven't had a ton of luck with mine reseeding itself and then growing again the next spring. So it's one that I purposely set out to plant. It will grow just fine in containers. You can grow it in the regular area of your garden. This one is going to grow pretty much anywhere that you want, but you will be replanting it, I should say, each year. It does best in full sun, but mine has done really well where it gets a lot of morning and afternoon sun. And then in the latter part of the afternoon and the evening, it gets some shade. But they are a lovely white flower with a pretty little yellow center. So they kind of remind me a little bit of a daisy, but they're smaller and more dainty. So not only are they pretty to look at, but they are great in teas. So a lot of times we think of using it as a tea to help us aid in relaxation or to take in the evening time, but it also is really good for topical use as well. It's got some good analgesic, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial properties, so a lot of people will use it topically in wound treatments and as well as making it into a tea. Up next on my list is echinacea. It's also known as purple coneflower. The medicinal varieties of it are E. purpia, E. pallidea, and E. angustifolia. We're going to assume that that's how those sound. And it is a perennial. Now, I have a special place in my heart for perennials because I only have to plant them once and they keep on providing me with the bounty and the harvest year after year after year. So I love perennials both in my flowers and my herbs and also with my fruits and vegetables. Now, I talk more about perennials in episode number 132, which is perennial plants to increase food production with less time. And again, all of these are in the resource section of this episode's show notes. But Echinacea is a beautiful flower, so it will send up blossoms in the summer and go all the way until your first hard frost. And after the plant gets established, you will get some blooms and some flowers within the first year. Now, I purchased starts from our local nursery. I didn't start them from seed. And then mine are going on three years old now. They do well in full sun. I did have one plant that I had. It was in full-on southern exposure, and it was in a very rocky bed that had shallow soil, and it didn't do so well there. By the end of the day, when it was really hot out, it kind of got scorched and wilty no matter how much, even though watering it daily. So I have since transplanted that to a different area of the yard that is still full sun, but it's not the full southern exposure in a rock garden right up next to our house that really tends to radiate the sun off of it. I moved it to a different area of the yard so that it would grow better, which is where I had my other plant I put in two of the echinacea. You generally don't harvest the root, so all parts of it are medicinal, which is really cool. So you've got your leaves and you've got the blossom and the root of the echinacea. I harvest the blossoms and the leaves, and you can harvest them on any age of the plant, and those I make into a tincture. But the root, which is typically what we see in things like echinacea tea, you'll see the root. Usually, you don't want to harvest it until the plant is at least two to three years old, and you harvest that in the fall after it's went through its first hard frost. And the bees love this one as well. So it's a great pollinator. 
And it's really well known. Echinacea is really well known, of course, for helping to aid or boost the immune system. Now, you can grow echinacea from seed, but it's one that the seeds require stratification. Stratification means that the seed needs to go through a cold time as well as a certain moisture level in order for it to germinate well. So I found it easiest to just go ahead and grab a couple of starts. They weren't very expensive because I hadn't planned early enough in the year. So I'm putting this episode out earlier in the year for you that you have time if you want to get the seed to get the seed and put it through the stratification process and then direct so. Okay, now let's talk elderberry. Elderberry is not what we would really consider an herb, but it is a great, powerful, medicinal berry, and it's really pretty to have in your landscape. Now, it's a perennial, meaning you're going to get your elderberry bush, you're going to plant it, and it's going to hopefully grow and provide you with harvest. Elderberry bushes are great because you generally will get a harvest after two years, where with a lot of your fruit trees, you're not going to get a harvest until six, seven plus years of age. And then your raspberries, usually the second year, and blueberries, usually three to four years before you start to get a really good harvest. So elderberry is a fruit that you can put in and you're going to start being able to harvest it earlier. Now, with elderberry, there's actually a national shortage, is that crazy or what, of being able to purchase the elderberry berries in order to make elderberry syrup, elderberry tinctures, that type of thing. Of course, you can do elderberry jelly and jam and you can cook with it, but it's really known for its medicinal properties, specifically in helping the body's immune system. It's known as a powerhouse when you're dealing with different viruses and influenza and that type of thing. So people will take it during cold and flu season primarily. Now, some people choose to take it proactively, meaning they're going to just take it once a day throughout that season to just keep everything up and going. And then other people prefer just to take it when they first start coming down with symptoms of something. So that's totally up to you. Personally, in our house, I only use it when we feel like we're coming down with something or we're starting to come down with something, symptoms are starting to exhibit, and then that's when we use it. So it's not one that I use proactively, but I do need to put this out there with the elderberry that elderberry consumed raw can have problems. Now, you don't ever want to use the bark or the leaves of the elderberry plant, but the berry itself it's most cases best to cook it first. There's a compound in there that can have gastrointestinal upset and that compound is destroyed when you cook it or you bring it up to heat, but you're not destroying the medicinal properties that are within the elderberry by doing so. Now there's different species of the elderberry, but for medicinal purposes and consuming it, you want Sambucus nigra. And you want to make sure that you avoid the red elderberries. These ones are a really dark purplish color. I ordered my elderberries and I'll put the link in there and I have no affiliation with them, meaning I'm not getting a kickback and they didn't send them to me to free. I just went to their website, paid full price, ordered them and they shipped them to me was Rain Tree Nursery. Now, I'm in Washington State. That's where I'm located. And this nursery also happens to be located in Washington. 
but they will ship all over, at least the US as far as I know. I'm not sure about international. You can check with that, but that's where I got mine. And elderberries do best when they have another variety for cross-pollination. So I ordered two. I got one that has a striped variegated leaf because, as I said, I want these to do double duty. I want them to provide things for my family, but I also want them to look pretty in our landscape. Then the other variety I got just has a regular green leaf. Now, I'm sure you knew that this one would be included in the list, and that is lavender. Lavender is one of the very first flowering pretty herbs that we put in that also has some great medicinal purpose to it. Lavender is really known for that strong scent. Now, here's something interesting. I didn't think I used to really like the smell of lavender until I smelled real lavender. And what I mean by that is not synthetic. I don't like the synthetic smell of lavender, but I love the smell of real lavender from the flowers and in essential oil. Lavender is very well known for being soothing and calming. Growing-wise, it's a perennial, so woohoo, we only have to plant that bad boy once and it keeps on going. It's drought-resistant, like full sun. It's very, very hard to start from seed, however. It does best, and you're going to have the easiest results if you get a cutting or a start from someone or just buy a small plant. Now, the good thing about lavender is it will grow well in poor to moderate soil, meaning it doesn't have to have a lot of organic or rich nutrient soil. So I put mine in our Southern Exposure Rocky Flower Bed, and it does great there. I've actually got, oh goodness, how many plants do I have now of it? I think three or, no, four. Four, maybe going on five. The wonderful thing about lavender is it smells so good. It attracts the bees. It's very pretty. And if you trim back the blossoms, you will get another large flowering of it. At least that's been the case for us. So mine will flower, of course, in the spring and early summer. And then August through September, I still get it. So it goes for a long period. Now, once we get those first hard frosts, I don't get any new blossoms and it will go dormant over the winter months and then come back strong in the spring. Next up on my list is nasturtium. And nasturtium is an annual, so you're going to plant that from seed every year. And what's great about nasturtium is it will grow anywhere. It will grow in small containers. It will grow in flower gardens. I plant it out in the regular vegetable garden to act as a companion plant, but it's also edible. The leaves and the flowers are edible, so they're great in salads. You can throw them in soups. They kind of have a natural little bit of a peppery type flavor, but they also are shown to have antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties as well. Now, I generally don't dry and use them in teas or anything like that. It's usually just, I happen to think they're gorgeous. And then we also just use them in our fresh eating. One of my other favorite ones is sage. I love the sage leaves. They're almost velvety to the touch and they're a very pretty silvery green. Sage I grow, it's a perennial. So once you plant it, it's going to keep coming back. And that I have in one of my large half whiskey barrel planter containers right by the door. It gets morning and early afternoon sun, and then it gets the evening time in late afternoon. It moves into the shade. I've had it in the same planter, oh my, I don't know, going on probably four or five years now. (laughs) Quite a while it's been in this planter, and it does just great. The awesome thing about sage is I can still go out right now, even in January, and harvest a few sage leaves. 
Now, not getting any new sage leaves, but whatever was growing, it just gets halted for me by the really cold temperatures and the hard frost. So I can continue to harvest fresh off of it well until the winter months. Now, when we hit February and March before it's really warm, I've pretty much went through everything that's left on the plant. But then in early spring, it will start producing for me again. And I think it's just a pretty contrast with that silvery green color and it has those soft leaves to the rest of the flower beds. And sage is one of my favorite herbs to obviously use in cooking. It's a wonderful herb that way. But it's one that I always grab and put in tea whenever I start to feel the scratch or I need to help soothe my throat. So as you are planning your garden and or out there looking around and deciding what you're going to put in, definitely think about adding in some of these to your garden and they easily slip into your existing landscape. Now, just a little heads up and teaser. Next week, we're going to dive into home medicine and using natural remedies even more with a special guest. So you're going to want to make sure that you tune into that. Now we're ready for our verse of the week. We are in Philippians chapter one, and it's going to be verse nine through 10. And this is the amplified translation of the Bible. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences, and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. And I especially love this verse because sensing what is vital And learning to approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. So much in this world that we focus on, at least for myself, when I really get down to it, probably doesn't have as much significance as I sometimes want to place on it. So my prayer for you and myself as you go through this week, that the Lord will show each of us where we need to focus and what is truly vital and real and important for our growth and our love, that what we spend our time on and our energy would have real value. I want to thank you so much for joining me of this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast, and I can't wait to be back here with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you hit the subscribe button, no matter what app you're listening to this in so that you get notified and you have our new episodes waiting for you as soon as they're released. Okay, I can't wait to be back here with you next week, guys. I hope you have a fabulous week. Bye for now.